and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The coming is near, declared a video produced by the Iranian government. This video was virtually unreported in the Western world, but says that all the signs are moving into place and that Iran, formerly known as Persia, will soon help usher in the end times. But is that true? How should we understand Iran, formerly known as Persia, until 1935? Well, today the theme is revolution. But revolution in Iran and the entire Islamic world is driven exclusively by religion. In spite of the naive claims of Western pundits and politicians of a purported hunger for democracy. But democracy is a political concept of fundamental freedom. And it's radically inconsistent with the Quranic Islam, which mandates exclusive and inviolable adherence to and practice of Sharia law. So, Muslims are anticipating their Messiah, called the Mahdi, who is going to lead them in the final conquest of earth, deposing all who deign to resist them, ushering in a global caliphate, and it's the Islamic apocalypse, or unveiling, to be soon revealed in the end times. On the other hand, there's another unveiling. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Believe it or not, the word apocalypse means the unveiling. People use the word inappropriately. It doesn't mean terrible things. It means the unveiling. And so, the book of Revelation is referred to as the apocalypse or unveiling of Jesus Christ. And he is coming. He's coming to judge the earth in righteousness, to judge the quick and the dead. He's coming to receive his own and to rule the world in righteousness. So how are these two going to come into conflict? The Mahdi versus the Messiah. The Mahdi versus the Messiah. If Messiah is coming, and the Muslims, led by Iran and their mullahs, believe that the Mahdi is the Messiah, and that Jesus himself will authenticate the Mahdi as the Messiah, you can see we're not destined for peace at any time soon. So the preparation for the coming, the coming for Jews is by doing good works to usher in the world in the time of tikkun olam or the restoration of the world fit for the Messiah. For Christians, it is the preparation of our minds and our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ to obey his word, to live by faith and not by sight, and to proclaim his good news to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour, to disciple for destiny, which we do here every day on Viewpoint. But for the Muslim, that is the strong Iranian Persian version of Islam, Oh, that's another whole ball game, because for them, 
they must prepare the world through chaos. Through chaos and destruction to usher in the Mahdi, their version of the Messiah. You can see why the world is in terrible conflict, can't you? So today we're going to ask the question, is Iran rebuilding or attempting to rebuild the Persian Empire, the ancient Persian Empire? I believe they are. The rest of the world may not see it that way, but I believe that that's exactly what they're trying to do. And they need to do that because their vision is that Iran is to be the vanguard of the Islamic revolution to rule the world. So when Louis Farrakhan made his journey in 1997, I believe it was, across the Islamic world, he met with the then president of Iran and the leaders, and he said, Iran is destined to be the vanguard of the Islamic revolution worldwide. In other words, to usher in Allah as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can you then see how the diametrically opposed viewpoints are determining destiny? How should you and I understand these things then? If indeed Iran, the modern version of the ancient Persian Empire, is seeking to rise as a superpower in the Middle East and through that ultimately to dominate the world through Islam, how should you and I understand this? Is there a conflict between expected messiahs? Indeed, there is. And by the way, that is the reason why I wrote the book Messiah. Not because of Iran, but because Iran is just one illustration. One illustration of the many, 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 many different ways that people are creating their own messiahs. When you get a copy of my new book coming out in August, you are going to be amazed at what is revealed there. You're going to re, uh, realize all of a sudden a realization is going to come that the entire world, in one way or another, is either expecting or creating their own Messiah. And it's all in conflict with the one that the Bible is said to come the Messiah, the Anointed One of God. I would urge you to seriously consider getting a copy of that book. You can get it in advance. It's coming out August 1st, officially on Amazon August 25th. But for those of you who listen to this program, you're going to be able to get your copy much earlier. And so we're making it available to you. Uh, if you order the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, by August 1st, you will receive a, an endorsed copy, uh, an autographed copy. If that is something that's important to you, we will do that for you. And uh, you'll be the first in order to get a copy of this book, which I believe is going to reveal what is shortly to come in the rest of of our world. 
It follows on the heels of my last book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Soon-Coming Imposter. But this one is the ultimate Messiah unveiling the mystery of the ages. And indeed, the very concept of Messiah has seemed to be a mystery. It's been a mystery to Israel. And for many Christians, it's still a mystery. Believe it or not, it's still a mystery. Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. $22 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll make sure that you get your copy right up front, long before anybody else can get a copy of the Messiah. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Is Iran rebuilding the Persian Empire, and if so, why? How and why? That's what we're going to talk about for the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint. And yes, it does affect you. It affects all of us. And we'll talk about our role, our place, our response to what is developing right before our eyes. Interestingly, You may not remember that one of the great kings, in fact, the greatest king of the Persian Empire called Cyrus the Great, was described in the Bible as a type of Christ himself, believe it or not. Cyrus the Great. We'll talk more about him as we move forward in the program here today. But this matter of the Persian Empire is a big deal. At its peak, the Persian Empire ruled 44% of the entire world's population. The highest percentage for any empire in human history. That's a big deal. While the Persian Empire would never again achieve that kind of global dominance, the Iranian people continued to be known as Persians. They spoke the same language embraced the same culture, and after the rise of Islam, they became part of the Shia branch of Muslim civilization. But Iranians have always been Persians. They remember when their civilization was the most dominant in the whole world, and they ruled the Arab peoples who now oppose their ascent. They remember when forces from the West destroyed their empire, and many want to recreate that empire today. We'll look at some of the reasons for that as we move on in the program today. But before we get deeper into the Persian Empire itself, an article came forth uh, just in the last week or so called Five Minutes to Armageddon. Five Minutes to Armageddon. It came through in a magazine called Midnight Call, 
And uh, I wanted to share some excerpts from uh, this article because it fits the overall subject that we're focusing on here today on Viewpoint. So here we go. Israel and Iran are rapidly approaching an inflection point over Tehran's nuclear program and what was the atomic equivalent of a controlled clash between the two countries is now devolving into an unconstrained chain reaction. An unconstrained chain reaction. So what's that rooted in? Well, Iran is amassing, and has already amassed, 95 pounds of highly enriched uranium. And it's deeply concerning to Israel especially, but also many in the rest of the world. This mass of highly enriched uranium is required for a nuclear chain reaction to sustain itself. So, Tehran has ominously crossed that minimum threshold already. Now, you might remember back in 1981, uh, when Israel, Israel's then Prime Minister, uh, Menahem Begin and his security cabinet authorized what was called Operation Babylon to destroy Saddam Hussein's Osiric nuclear facility. Well, that was done, but Iran's situation today is more dire, exponentially more difficult to eliminate than was Saddam Hussein's Osiric nuclear facility. And under his Iranian president's uh, Rezi, he is increasingly combative and non-cooperative. In fact, the director general of the International Atomic Energy Commission reported to the agency's board of governors that Tehran had failed to provide explanations that are technically credible with respect to finding nuclear materials at the three undeclared locations in Iran. Now, Iran began installing what we call advanced IR-6 centrifuges in clusters, and that was a chilling acceleration of their enrichment of uranium by as much as 50%. So in response, the International Atomic Energy Committee a Commission centered Tehran, resulting in Iran cutting off their camera feeds that monitored Iran's nuclear uh, activities. So, this is putting both Iran, excuse me, both Israel and Washington in a serious dilemma. Prepared or not, Israel and Washington appear to be out of time. Because Iran's threat is substantial and it's only intensifying. When Barack Obama went out of his way to give what was it, $15 billion of American money, fly it directly to the mullahs in Iran to try to buy some limited uh, delay in their preparation of a nuclear bomb. All he did was facilitate their continuing to do it and pay them for doing it. That's really all he did. They didn't discontinue. They continued. And now they're on the cusp of that nuclear power. Not for commercial purposes, for energy for commercial purposes, but to fulfill their vision to usher in 
the Mahdi, their version of Messiah, which they believe requires chaos in the world. And the only way they see that they can create that chaos is through nuclear power. So prepared or not, Israel and the leaders of our country appear to be out of time. Now, Jerusalem's war between wars, a covert approach against Iran, was sufficient to, shall we say, tactically frustrate Tehran's nuclear ambitions via sabotage and assassinations of key Iranian nuclear physicists. But no longer. It's not going to work. So the doomsday clock is now at five minutes to midnight in Jerusalem and Tehran and Megiddo, the historical biblical site of Armageddon in Israel. That's the article coming from none other than thehill.com and repeated only in Midnight Call magazine. Coming from a political magazine, commentary, thehill.com. Now, we know that Iran has a serious desire to develop nuclear power. Did you know that Russia actually built Iran's first nuclear reactor called the Bashir reactor? Russia did that. And Russia is prepared to help them build even further nuclear power as has been announced in the last several months. Now, all these developments are not Armageddon. And we know in Revelation 16, there are preparations for Armageddon. Unclean spirits come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet and working uh, miracles and devils and so on. We know all of that. But the question is, or... The, the interesting thing is that the use of the word Armageddon is actually used more generically than biblically. It's like the use of the word apocalypse. The use of the word apocalypse, biblically speaking, means unveiling. It doesn't mean terrible things in and of itself. Now, there may be terrible things associated with the time of the unveiling, but that's not what the apocalypse means. So when somebody says something is apocalyptic, they're actually meaning it's terrifying, it's terrible, it's awesome. It's They're not talking about the unveiling of the Messiah. They're talking about all of the events leading up to that time. The same is true with the use of Armageddon. It's used actually inappropriately. Armageddon is merely a location. Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. Right there at the head of the the long Jezreel Valley. Many a war has been fought there. Historically, historic wars have been fought there. Going back into ancient civilization. But the Bible says that God is going to draw these nations. He's going to draw the kings of the east. And he's going to draw the hordes from the north and the kings of the south. And 
undoubtedly the forces of the West, the resurrected Roman Empire, going to draw them all into this cataclysmic battle in the Valley of Armageddon. What's interesting is that as we speak, and for the last several years, Zion Oil and Gas, founded by a Christian brother, John Brown, has been digging or drilling for oil there in that region. It's fascinating. As we speak right now, they have brought in equipment from all over the world. They have leading oil experts who are doing their best to seek to tap into what they are convinced is the oil that God has held in reserve for Israel under Israeli soil. And so for over 30 years, they have been persisting in this activity by faith. Right there, below Har-Megiddo, right there at the head of Armageddon, the Valley of Armageddon, the Jezreel Valley. So putting it all in perspective, we can begin to see why, ultimately, if Israel were to develop or to discover, tap into massive oil there, why it would draw the power brokers, of the, the, the great powers of the world, to battle it out there, to gain dominion and control over that oil or that spoil. In order to understand that a little more directly, you might go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 and read about it there. But for, de- for today, we're focusing specifically on Iran, the former Persian Empire, and where that stands with regard to biblical prophecy today. What are its implications for today? <clears throat> In my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic and End Time Battle, a chapter There is a chapter called the Mahdi versus the Messiah. The Mahdi versus the Messiah, chapter 21. When an Iranian government production declares the coming is near, what they're actually doing is laying out the vision for Iran to become the vanguard of, of the Islamic revolution to usher in the end times. That's their goal. That has been their goal for some period of time, and now they're very near to achieving their goal by the patient development of nuclear power for a bomb. That means that the whole world now has to be interested in what's taking place. That's why you and I must be interested. One of the reasons why we must be interested. And indeed, we are. So even as the Muslim world is preparing to usher in the coming of the Mahdi, 
So the Jewish world is experiencing a rising expectation that both Jew and Gentile are now living in the Messianic age. However you might define that, by the way. And interestingly, there was a campaign in the late 1970s in Israel with the slogan, We want Moshiach now, that is Messiah. In fact, the call for Messiah among the more fundamentalist Jewish groups has corresponded in time with the publication of the bestseller, remember the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey? Yeah. And then the film, The The Thief in the Night, that made its debut in the 1970s. But now all of that is coming to a head. You could call it the messianic head. Messianic fervor is growing. And so is the We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a For Pastors Only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. The Persia of yesteryear is nothing like the Iran of today. The enormous Persian Empire that once existed stretched across what is today's Iran, Turkey, Egypt, parts of Pakistan, and Afghanistan. It covered 40% of the Earth's population. The largest population coverage of any empire. Its founder was Cyrus the Great. He founded it around 550 B.C. And the empire was, it it was not like anything at that time with its thriving culture and religious tolerance, even scientific advancements, art, and just general regard favorably toward its subjects. As I indicated, Cyrus II was the founder of the Persian Empire, who later went on to be known as Cyrus the Great. He he wasn't like your typical ruler. He he had a very interesting out of the box kind of thinking, and that's probably why they called him Cyrus the Great. He he wasn't like those that came before him. He didn't destroy or enslave the kingdoms or its citizens once he would conquer them. In fact, on the contrary, he was known for his mercy even toward the rulers of his newly joined kingdom. And he would often use the knowledge of the kings for improving his own rule over their new territories and subjects. And he he provided them with religious freedoms and tolerance for their unique customs. It was very much like America, in a sense. 
But before becoming a king and establishing his empire, Cyrus was just, he's just merely a leader of a sort of a, a semi-nomadic tribe that lived of cattle. But he was ambitious. And he went out to conquer the neighboring kingdoms, which he then joined under his rule. And it didn't take long for his vast empire to get even bigger and become a power to be reckoned with. So the Persians and their empire was the, established the first regular communication routes between Europe and Africa and Asia. And they recognized the need for faster ways to get information from one part of the empire to another. And so, to resolve that issue, they, they defined and organized the first ever postal service in the world. Not Benjamin Franklin. It was the, the Persians. It was an astounding advancement for that time, something that aided in keeping the empire together. So, although most people equate the Persian Empire with the monotheistic religion of Islam, the reality is that Persia's religious practices were mostly centered around Zoroastrianism. And Islam didn't come into the spotlight until after the Arabic overtake in the 7th century. Now, even though Cyrus the Great was devoted to his religion, he was also very tolerant and open-minded, and he didn't force his religious views on his subjects. In fact, on the contrary, he allowed many religious and even civil freedoms, including the release of Jewish people from captivity and their return to Jerusalem, which you can read about in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, at the time just leading up to the collapse of the Persian Empire. After Cyrus the Great and his successor, Darius the Great, both of which made extraordinary impact on the development and expanse of the empire, came a fellow by the name of Xerxes, the son of Darius, or Darius, and Xerxes made the unsuccessful attempt to conquer Greece, during which he used up all the money and failed. His treasury was empty, and Alexander the Great took over the Persian Empire. Now, there have been many people after Xerxes that tried to renew and expand the empire to its historic greatness, but none of them succeeded. So, here we have, try to get a picture of this, we have one of the greatest empires in history that covered the largest then percentage of population in the history of the world, 44%. A big deal. Then it disappeared. But the people haven't disappeared. And the people long for the resurrection of their glorious empire. And especially the Muslim leaders, Khamenei and his ilk, ruling Persia, Iran, with an iron hand, not like Cyrus the Great. And they believe that they have been installed there for a purpose, that they are the leaders, the vanguard of the Islamic Revolution, and through the resurrection of the Persian Empire, they will lead in ruling the world. 
lead the rest of the Muslim world into a joint effort to rule the world under Sharia law. That's their belief. And since that is their belief, whether you agree with it or not is not the important thing. The important thing is that that they believe in it, and that's what drives them. That is what is not fully understood or recognized by Western thinkers, politicians, even pastors. It's just not. We don't see things through their eyes. But if we did, it would be easier to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and perhaps be a little stronger in our effort not to be of assistance in that effort. All right. Now, before we go further, to take go back and take a look at uh, what we can expect, what are, what are the reasons why uh, Iran now is moving in this direction to resurrect its empire, to recreate the Persian Empire, I want to speak for just a quick moment to our listeners in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Again, I want to remind you of our breakfast coming up on August 13th. It's coming up quickly now. Saturday morning, August 13th, from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Chestview Country Club uh, there in Agawam, Massachusetts. It's a gorgeous place and uh, the best place we have ever found for these breakfasts up there, and to gather together of like-minded people who are seeking the Lord with a whole heart, who, unlike the rest of their surroundings there in the Northeast, are truly seeking for brothers and sisters who are of like mind, who truly, truly are seeking the Lord with a whole heart, wanting to be encouraged, wanting to be strengthened, wanting to be discipled, wanting to have this sense of brotherhood and sisterhood together. That's what they find when they come to that breakfast. It's amazing. It just is. And uh, so I want to urge you to take advantage of this opportunity. You're going to have to make reservations. You make your reservations. The best way is to go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Right there on the home page, on the right, is a button, Viewpoint Breakfast. Hit that, and that will lead you to uh, uh, doing the rest of what you need to do to uh, sign up for that breakfast. I hope you'll do it right away. Because remember, we have to make plans. We have to be able to advise uh, the uh, country club as to how many people are going to be there because we have to pay for those breakfasts. So, we need to hear from you, ASAP. And consider bringing a friend, even your kids. Many families have brought their teenage kids, even younger. It's amazing the effect that those breakfasts have had on those kids. So, go to the website, saveus.org, Sign up there, make your reservation, or you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries. Send a check, put a note in there, what it's for, 
Make sure if you're bringing other people that you give us their names. We need to have all the names of the people that are coming. Okay? And so we look forward to we're bringing all of our books and materials, and uh, including the brand new book, Messiah. I think you'll be blessed. Look forward to seeing you then. All right. Now we move forward <clears throat> with the uh, reasons, some of the reasons why people in, in the natural world of things, why they might be seeking to rebuild or recreate the Persian Empire. One reason is economic. Money. Because money is power. So the more that Iran can control the Middle East, the more it can control energy reserves that still influence the rest of the world. On the other hand, the more Iran can control the energy, the more it can control the rest of the world. Works both ways. A second reason is political. And any, any regime, regime that can appeal to its nationalistic pride is going to enjoy popular support at home. If the people feel like you, you're legit and you care for them. Now, a lot of people in per, uh, Persia don't feel that way in Iran. They don't feel that way. A third reason is religious. And by the way, this is the driving force. Religion is the driving force. Iran's Islamic leaders believe they are advancing the global dominance of Islam. And in doing that, they're calling for Israel's destruction in part because they believe, they're convinced that such a move would hasten the return of the Mahdi. That's their Messiah-like figure of Shia uh, Islam. That's what they believe. And so they're acting out of their beliefs. So what can we expect? What should we expect? We want to take a look at that when we get back from this upcoming break. If, if Iran is seeking to rebuild the Persian Empire, what future steps can we expect to take or to observe? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they loved one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're focusing on the resurrecting Persian Empire. We talked about the resurrecting Roman Empire. 
We talked about the resurrecting Russian Empire. Uh, we're talking today, and we we have talked in the past about the uh, resurrection of the uh, Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and today we're looking at the resurrection of the Persian Empire. But we've also talked about the resurrection of the Roman Empire. You see, all of these great forces now are resurrecting in one way or another, just as the prophet Daniel saw in that great colossal vision in his prophecy from Persia. That's where he was. What can we expect? If Iran is seeking to rebuild the Persian Empire, where is this going? What, what, what should we see? First of all, it's going to continue building Shia-led political and military coalitions. So here's the interesting thing. Islam is not Islam is not Islam is not Islam. You have Shia and Shiite. Shia and Shiite are at war with one another, yet they're both Muslim. The Shias, which dominate Persia, Iran, believe that they are going to rule the world, believe that their Mahdi, the 12th Imam, will raise Shia Islam to be the grand vizier of the world. That's their goal. That's what they see. That's their vision. So, there's going to be an effort to continue building Shia-led political and military coalitions. We're watching it happen. At the same time, there's going to be an escalation of conflict within these self-proclaimed Islamic states, like ISIS. Also, we're going to see the development of nuclear power in Iran's quest for economic supremacy in the area. They want to change geopolitics, and they believe that the only way to do that is through fear, force or threat of force through fear of nuclear power. Therefore, the next thing that we should expect is that they are going to develop nuclear weapons. And they're right on the verge of it. As we speak, they want to use it as a threat to bring the rest of the world under dominion. And the reality is they don't much care about life. They care about power, Allah's power. And so they're willing, like kamikaze pilots in the Second World War, they're willing to run to their death. Not run for life, but run to their death because of the promises they believe are endemic, promised to them through 
the Quran, the Hadith, and so on. Iran's Supreme Leader Khamenei, last November, tweeted that there is no cure for Israel other than annihilation. So, what do they seek to do with nuclear power? Destroy Israel. Israel, according to the Shia Muslims, is the little Satan. But the great Satan to them is the USA. Therefore, their desire to destroy Israel is by implication also their desire to destroy America. Because if they can't destroy America, they can't destroy Israel. Therefore, they have to get rid of the great Satan in order to get to the little Satan from their viewpoint. Now, we're also going to see and are seeing a conflict between Saudi Arabia and a revived Persian Empire. It's a a nightmare because uh, such an empire would seek to control the Middle East and eventually the Saudi Peninsula. And the Saudis have fought Iran economically to maintain their control. Iran has to keep the price of oil way up to keep its budget. But Saudi Arabia can keep the price down because of their greater resources of oil and gas. So the Saudis have also joined in a coalition to fight Iran-backed Shia forces across the Saudi border in Yemen. And you know how vicious that has been. Just look at the pictures. But for Israel, a revived Persian empire would unite Muslims in the Middle East against the Jewish state. And that is what they are after. For Russia, a new Persian empire would be economically and politically damaging. Iran's oil reserves could eventually compete with Russian energy resources. In Europe and in Asia, we see this taking place in the context of what is called the great game for black gold, oil. For the United States, a revived Persian empire would present a conflicted future. Iranian threats against Israel directly implicate America as we pledge to Israel's security. To try to placate Iran with regard to its nuclear power is an exercise in futility. You know why? Because it's an article of their faith, friends. It's an article of their faith. They believe that they are ordained to rule the world, to control the world, and to do so through force or threat of force, the development of chaos through nuclear power. It's an article of faith for them. You're not going to dispossess them of that. That's who they are. That's not who every Iranian person is. That's who their leadership is. 
Now, is God at work in, in Iran? We hear reports that he is. So that's good news. Here's another interesting fact that a lot of people don't realize. Esther, right there in the Bible, Daniel, the prophet, Nehemiah, Ezra, Habakkuk, they all lived in what was then Persia, now Iran. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites from Persia were among the very first converts to Christianity. And they're all mentioned there in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Iranians are coming to Christ in countries outside Iran, and then those people are returning to their native land to share the gospel. And as Muslims receive visions, not just in Iran, but in various other Muslim countries, receive visions and dreams from Jesus, more and more making their lives, Christ the Lord of their life. But there's always a war. And so the enemy fights back. Iranian Christians are facing extreme persecution today. Not mild, but extreme. You remember uh, Pastor Abedini? He had been in prison there for more than two years. He said after his release that he did not know whether he could withstand the persecution anymore. His faith was not prepared to endure the kind of persecution that he received. Is yours? If his faith was not prepared, how about yours? How about mine? That's why here on this program, friends, we are continually to urge, to encourage, to strengthen, to build up our listeners, all of us, on our most holy faith, to prepare for persecution, to prepare to endure to the end, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. That's what we're doing. It's not an easy thing. Just the other day, a workman came to our home. We were having some things done, and he said, are you a coach? I said, well, no, not not really. And he said, well, you, you just kind of have that, that spirit of a coach around about you. I thought, wow, that's a, that's a great thing. A great thing. In fact, at one time, I was a coach for five years. And I've always had this, in, this uh, sense deep inside me to encourage people to strengthen them uh, through difficult, difficult circumstances. One of the reasons I have been watching the world games, track and field games in Oregon. Uh, catching little bits and pieces here and there is to be encouraged myself to see how people press toward the mark for the prize. To see how a Christian sister, Sydney LaLachlan, has just broken the world record two or three times in the course of this one world meet. And she gives glory to God in the most open ways. Oh yeah, it took a lot of preparation. But she gives glory to God. We can pray for persecuted believers. 
We can pray for those uh, there who are converting from Islam to Christianity. By the way, that's a criminal offense. In fact, in, in many places, it's a capital offense. And we need to pray for Israel's safety amid the threatenings and slaughterings coming from Iran. God foretold to the prophets that Cyrus the Great would become a deliverer for the children of Israel who had been taken into bondage in Babylon and then had been taken over by the Persian Empire. And then Cyrus the Great came along and fulfilled all the promises. So he was, as many would say, a type of Christ. And he actually made possible the rebuilding of the first temple. So it became the second temple, the rebuilding of the temple. And he actually paid for it out of his own governmental coffers. Cyrus the Great. Would that happen again? Is it possible that that could happen again? We don't find any indication in the Bible that that would happen again, that somehow Iran or Persia or a leader there in Persia would be used in that way. But we do know that God is moving there, and that's important. But here's the lingering question. Who is the Messiah? That, that's the lingering question. How would we recognize Messiah? Remember, I wrote the book, Antichrist. How do I, how do I identify the coming imposter? But if so many are going to be deceived, thinking the Antichrist is the Messiah, then how would you recognize Messiah? Upon what authority would his authenticity be established? Many are going to be confused, deceived, even destroyed by a false hope and a counterfeit. How about you? Maybe you might want to get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. $22, put it in your hands. Or you might want to also, at the same time, order the book, Messiah, and get both sides of the same point. I think you'll be a blessing. Thanks for joining us. Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.